0: Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast, where two worlds collide. I am your host, DeAndrea Bolden. Join myself and others as we have relevant, engaging conversation on a variety of topics, that are related to faith and mental health. So be sure to tune in weekly and also to subscribe. Did you know that you can listen to this podcast on all major podcast platforms such as Apple, Google, and even Stitcher? You can even catch this podcast on my YouTube channel. As a listener, please know that we want to hear from you and we hope that you will reach out with feedback, suggestions, and even ideas for guests and topics that you would like for us to include. Oh, do you mind helping me out by simply sharing this podcast with others? Thank you, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. God bless. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, DeAndrea Bolden, and today I have a very, very special guest with me. I have Dr. Matthew S. Stanford, but I'm not going to get into his bio. I'm going to give him a moment to introduce himself to our listeners.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Matthew Stanford. I'm the CEO of the Hope and Healing Center and Institute in Houston, Texas, and I'm also adjunct professor of psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. And so um, for those that don't know, he's being very shy. Dr. Matthew Stanford is very well known when it comes to the faith and mental health community. So I am just ecstatic to be able to interview him today talking about his latest book. And so I do have it right here. Hopefully I can, I'm so terrible with holding stuff up to the camera, but the book is titled Madness and Grace. And um, it's called a practical guide for pastoral care and serious mental illness. And I began reading this book once I received it, I believe, maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago, can't remember the exact date, but I would tell you that this book is very well written, it is, a very, it is a resource and a tool that I believe a lot of believers uh, could benefit from having. So, uh, Dr. Stanford, let's take a moment, let's step back and talk about what caused you to write this
1: book. Yeah, I've been very interested in the intersection of mental health and faith for for quite some time. And one of the things that really led me to that uh, was the fact that in the United States today, a majority of people with mental health problems never receive any treatment. Uh, But what we do know is that anyone in the general population that is struggling with these problems is more likely to engage a clergy first. Uh, And so we know they go to clergy first seeking assistance. They may not know they have a mental health problem. They just know they're struggling. But yet, we find that less than 10% of clergy ever make a referral, uh, and less than a quarter of uh, faith communities in the U.S. have any kind of ministry or outreach for people that have mental health-related problems. And so, you know, I've been very interested in that for a while, and and I've written some books around that, were mostly educational. Uh, but I was getting a lot of requests to write something that was very practical. You know, kind of a step-by-step. What do you do when someone walks into your office? What do you do if you're uh, a layman that works in a ministry and you think someone is struggling with a mental health problem, how do you determine that? Uh, and so that's what I did with Madison Grace, I tried to be extremely practical, very much step-by-step, step. this is the question you ask, this is the answer you look for, uh, and it's been well received so far.
0: Awesome, awesome. That was a very, I, I like how you included this, the statistics in there because I think it it adds value to it when we can really look at it and say, hey, only 10% of clergy, refer people for professional mental health services and knowing that the majority of, of people in the church that need help are going to their clergy. So I think this is very important. And so um who who would you say is the intended reader for your book? Is it just pastors or is it just, you know, kind of anybody who who would benefit from this?
1: I would say, you know, at, at the first level it would be anyone that's involved in any kind of ministry in which they might be delivering some kind of pastoral counseling or pastoral care. So that doesn't necessarily mean a professional vocational pastor. I mean, certainly those are thought of, but any layman that would be involved in leading a Bible study or ministry where, where you're going to provide pastoral care or counsel to those that you're serving. Uh, and then also, you'll be on that. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of uh, people, uh, for instance, teachers. Um, Uh, individuals that are kind of what you think of as gatekeepers in the sense that they engage people first when they might have mental health problems. And then certainly uh, the family members of individuals who have mental health problems. I think there's a lot of resources there that can help them uh, better uh, kind of care for their loved ones.
0: That's good. That's good. And so, yeah, so I, I have, like I said, began reading it. And one of the chapters that for me really stuck out was chapter three, where you talk about child and adolescent mental health. And I think this is very important because one thing I learned in in undergrad and grad school is that um, mental health issues do not typically present themselves the same way in children as they do in adults. So what are some things uh, that you can speak to concerning uh, child and adolescent mental health?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, we have to remember, and I think I actually say in this book, that children are not just little adults. We have to remember that. And so, you know, when we're looking for, you know, mental health problems, they may manifest in a very different way in a child. And children don't have the same kind of cognitive and verbal abilities that adults have. So they can't really express to you how they're feeling or what they're thinking. So, you know, one of the things we have to begin with is understanding that 50% of Chronic mental health conditions are in place by the time someone's 14 years old. Wow. Uh, and 75% are in place by the time someone's 24 years old. And so, you know, between 14 and 24 years old is where you will see the majority of mental health conditions manifest themselves. Uh, and so we we would expect to see these in children. This isn't something where we would not expect to see that. And then, you know, I think the other thing we have to look at is you know, as a parent or anyone that works with children, you have to step back and you have to ask yourself, is what you're seeing in this child different than an average child of that age and gender? So, you know, eight-year-old boys are hyperactive and and impulsive. That's just normal, okay? And so so a child that, you know, is restless, and can't sit still, an eight-year-old boy in a class, is he more restless and unable to sit still than a normal eight-year-old boy? So, you know, we have to ask ourselves that first. And then secondly, we have to ask, Uh, are the behaviors or the thought patterns or mood issues that this child is displaying, if they are different than that average child, are they uh, impairing them in some way? Are they affecting their ability to have relationships? Are they affecting their ability to academically perform? Things like that. Uh, Because that's an important kind of measure uh, on whether this is, you know, more of a disorder uh, than just a short-term struggle. And then I think we have to ask ourselves kind of the the chronicity of that. How long has this been going on? Is this a change from before? You know, has this child been like this or has this child something changed? And I think if we have answers to those and we, you know, and that concerns us, then I think we move forward. I think one of the things we have to do is we really have to overcome this idea that, you know, we we don't want to send a child to a mental health care provider uh, unless we're just absolutely positive. Uh, you know, and, and I think about it in the context of, of this. If your child wakes up and they have a sore throat, Uh, it's very common now for you to say, okay, well, I'm going to run you down to the urgent care and Mm -hmm. get a strep test just to make sure you don't have strep throat, okay? Because we know if you have strep throat, we can give you certain antibiotics and they'll knock it out pretty quick. But if you don't, if you just got some virus or something, then we'll have to deal with it. It's the same thing with a mental health care provider. If you think a child, if you see a child struggling and you're concerned, there's nothing wrong with going to a mental health care provider and allowing them to make an assessment and make a determination on whether something's going on. So I think we have to overcome that stigma as well, but like any medical condition, mental health conditions, when recognized early and treated early are much easier to deal with.
0: Wow, I think one thing that when you were talking, one thing that really stuck out is a lot of parents have a fear of labels. They don't want their children to be labeled because if they're labeled, then something's wrong with them, and if something's wrong with them, is it my fault um, that I fell as a parent? I think it's kind of a a lot of parents take it personally um, sometimes when it comes to getting to the point where it's like, hey, I think I need to get my child some help. I think there may be some uh, some abnormal behaviors and, and patterns that you know need to be addressed and, and get an assessment. So thank you for taking the time to really speak to that because I believe that we're going to see a greater highlight on child and adolescent uh, mental health. So I think that's very important and I'm glad you put that in there because a lot of books that deal with mental health just deal with adults. And like you said, people will try to apply that information to the little adults or children. So thank you for, for putting that in there. But I wonder, one thing that that really stuck out to me when I was reading the book, and I, I don't know why I chuckled, but it was the page where you were talking about um, like of a pastor is dealing with someone with SMI in their office. You were like, you know, make sure you have an exit. Make sure there's no letter opener on the desk. And I just that letter opener part just kind of made me chuckle. But um, what what are some things you know uh, uh you know based on the book or even based on the ex, uh, based on your experience um as a professional that you would give to uh, clergy when dealing with people that have serious you know uh, um, mental health issues. And I think you know one thing about it when we see serious mental mental illness, I think people need to realize I think I'll have you define that. Now I could, but I I think it will come better from, from uh, Dr. Stanford. Can you define serious mental illness? And then can you um, give clergy and even lay people a few tips when they're dealing with people like that? Because we've had some show up at our church and, you know, thank God, you know, one of the pastors is a state licensed therapist and, you know, there's other people in there that, you know, have educate educational backgrounds and, and Uh, uh, certifications and different things like that. But if you can uh, explain what serious mental illness is, because I forgot, I I like to, I never like to make the assumption that people know. I know based on, you know, what I went to school for and what I do, but everybody may not know what is meant or what the definition is for serious mental illness. So if you can just take a a moment to uh, define that and then just give some tips for people in the church that uh, may have, may come into contact with people that fit that category.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a misnomer, the, the state, you know, serious mental illness. And I use the term all the time because it is a term we use, but serious, because there really is no unserious mental illness. It's right. You really think about it. So it's not like we have two categories. So it's a, it really, it's just a, a defining a statement to say that the, the disorder is one that impairs a person's ability to function. And so something like OCD or post-traumatic stress disorder or schizophrenia those would all be considered serious mental illnesses. And in fact, most mental illnesses that anyone would know of would be considered serious mental illnesses because they impair a person's ability to function normally. Uh, and, and so, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily consider say something like a phobia, you know, because you could still go to work and you can be afraid of spiders, but not you can know, still yep. to work. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the thing there, but, you know, we are talking about, you know, to your second part there, we are talking about people in distress and people that are struggling with uh, with really a brain problem, and so uh, you know we know they're going to show up at churches first. That's just a fact. Um, I think you know one of the things we have to understand is that uh, people with mental illness are no more likely to be violent than someone who doesn't have mental illness. In fact, what the research shows is they're more likely to be the victims of violence than the perpetrators of violence. We have this narrative that runs in our in our news programs that virtually every person that commits a violent offense is somehow related to mental illness. But the reality is, is that most of the time, there's nothing in that person's background that says that. They just, you know, a neighbor said, oh, was kind of an odd guy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then a a reporter runs with that and says, you know, there may be a history of mental illness. Uh, But, you know, in in that book, I actually go through and I look at uh, church shootings, because that's a great concern that uh, people in faith communities have. Uh, and, you know, there's virtually no evidence that, you know, there's there a subset of them uh, that were the result of domestic violence. That's not mental illness. I mean, there's a subset of them that the result of racism. I mean, that's not a mental illness. And then there's a subset where we don't even know. So when you're dealing with people, I think the first thing to do is to kind of, you know, make sure you understand that this isn't a person to be afraid of. This is a person to show compassion to because they're in distress and they've come to the church for assistance. Uh, now, in that chapter where I go through and I, you know, talk about kind of how to make yourself safe, you know, that typically is in environments where you're kind of alone with the person and, you know, and it's in a confined environment, but you would do that with anyone, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, you want to make sure you know where your exit is, you want to not have, you know, if the person's agitated, you don't want to have weapons, you know, things can be used as weapons out. But I think in a church setting, you know, I think one of the things that people ask me the most is what if somebody comes in and disrupts our service? Uh, that, you know, that's a very common thing. And so how are you going to handle that? And, you know, what I recommend is that you, number one, you recognize that the most important person in God's economy at that moment is that person because he put them in front of you. Uh, and so, you know, that's not a person to be drugged out of your, your sanctuary by some off-duty police officer because he's being allowed uh, or she's being allowed. I think what it is, it's a time for you to engage them and have a conversation. And really, to teach the rest of the congregation that when people show up here and they're struggling, we're going to show them grace and love. Uh, and you know, I mean, I often say, you know, what what does it say to your congregation if they see somebody handcuffed and being drugged out of your con- out of your sanctuary because they were being loud? I mean, again, I'm not saying it's not disruptive. I'm right. just you know, we know they're likely to come there. And you know, I'm back to the idea of serious mental illness. I mean, research has demonstrated that. The level of pathology that you find in people who seek out assistance from clergy first um, is at the, is the same level that you find for people who seek out assistance from psychiatrists. So these aren't people that just have kind of mild mood issues. They might have a psychotic disorder. They might you know who knows what might be going on. Uh, and I think we need to be prepared to to care for them and and think about you know how we might serve them. And that's what a, a congregation needs to do ahead of time. You need to Your leadership needs to sit down and say, "Okay, somebody shows up at the service and is disrupted. I'm not saying that they're violent. I'm not saying that they're throwing things or threatening people or they have a gun. That's something for the police to deal with. Uh, They show up and they're and they're being loud. And it's obvious that there's a mental health issue. How are you going to handle that? You need to think about that ahead of time. Someone shows up at the front office and they're yelling at the secretary and they're obviously have a mental health problem how are you going to handle that? So, I mean, you need to have a process in place. I think most of the time where it kind of goes awry is because churches don't really think about that ahead of time. Uh, and they don't have a process in place. They often have a process in place for like, yeah, you know, I can't tell you how many churches I know have a process in place for an active shooter. Uh, and what happens is someone shows up and they're agitated, you know, they may be delusional or psychotic, and they're, they're disruptive. And instantaneously, this kind of, punitive, defensive approach is taken when really there's been no threat. And, uh, I, again, I think as a believer, we have to kind of step back and say, if God is sending these people to us, because there's nothing else like mental illness, where people are more likely to go to a clergy first, even if they're not a believer, that that's what the data shows. Even non-believers wow. are more likely to go to a clergy first. Um, they're, I mean, it, you know, hey, I sent you this guy and you drug him out of the sanctuary. I mean, I don't know that I want to hear that one day. So uh, just, you know, do your due diligence and think ahead of time what you're going to do um, and start with compassion and grace. And I think everything will work out.
0: That was good. very well stated, very well stated. You, I, I really, I'm just so excited about this book because this is a very different tool. Like you said, it's very practical. And so when I was reading it, I was like, okay, This is broken down for everyday people. You know, there's not a lot of uh, terminology and stuff you may see, you know, especially with your background. And so I I really um, appreciated this. So I want you to tell people where can they purchase this book? And also, how can people connect with you? If somebody's like, hey, you know, how can I contact, you know, Dr. Stanford, let people know where they can get the book and how they can contact you.
1: Yeah, you can get the book anywhere that books are sold, Amazon or Uh, christianbooks.com. It's published by Templeton Press. Uh, And as far as getting in touch with us, we have a a website for the Hope and Healing Center, which is just hopeandhealingcenter.org. That's our main website. But we also have a website for churches and schools with all types of resources and and online training on how to work with people with mental health problems, how to recognize. And that's mentalhealthgateway.org. All of our services and all of our training are free and you can go there. And we have a, a whole um, set of resources for faith communities. We do training for faith communities and for schools. Uh, and, uh, and, and we would be happy to help you with that. We have support staff that can help you get these things set up. But just go to mentalhealthgateway.org.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. And so I hope you guys have enjoyed me and my guest, Dr. Stanford today, talking about his new, go- his new book, Madness and Grace. And so, like he said, it's available for purchase anywhere. And so I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And I hope that you will tune in with me next time. Dr. Stanford, did you have any closing remarks before we shut it down?
1: You know, I just would say this. I mean, again, it's a divine opportunity. If these people are more likely to show up at churches, we need to be prepared to to receive them. I mean, as believers, we don't see that as a a mistake or an accident. We see that as, as God sending the broken to us.
0: Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's a different perspective, very different perspective, even for, even for myself with things I've seen, you know, over the years, but I do know that a lot of churches do try to engage them. And so I, I pray that we try to engage these people more and not see them as a disturbance and seeing them, see them as someone that God has sent. And so thank you so much for being my guest today. And thank you to everyone that is tuning in. God bless.